Welcome to The Road Back to You. Looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, I'm Suzanne Stabile. And I'm Ian Cron. And we're so glad that you're listening today. Welcome back, everybody, to The Road Back to You. I am looking across a table at one of my favorite human beings in the entire world, my co-host and pal, partner in crime, Suzanne Stabile. Welcome to Nashville, Suzanne. Thanks. It's good to be out of Texas for a few days. Well, It's yeah. hot in Texas. Oh, it's been plenty hot here, but today is beautiful. Who do we have with us today, and what are we doing? We have our friend, Hunter Mobley, and we're going to talk about... The best number on the Enneagram. Jesus' number. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which happens to be twos. Hunter is um, the executive pastor at Christ Church here in Nashville, and he teaches law at Belmont University. What? Yeah, a preacher and a lawyer. Wow. I didn't I didn't even know that, Hunter. Like you're you're like you're like a bad dude. I mean, you're like, you're know. doing it all, man. Twos get drugged into everybody's agenda. So that- <laughs> I, I probably got about five other things that I am trying well, to do well, as well. Well, I have to say that twos are, are some of my favorite people in the world, known as the givers or the helpers. Um, many of my closest friends are, are twos. And the, the, a lot of the words that, that come up for me um, with, uh, uh, with, with twos are, you know, they're, incredibly optimistic they're they're giving they're in their best space you know they're they're selfless they're sensitive to sometimes to a fault right yes supportive like nobody's business fun energetic i mean really they're i mean i can't say enough good particularly about to be a two who wouldn't want to be a two i mean it's uh well they're also manipulative (laughs) Uh-oh. Okay, don't, now don't you're tell a two. Him. So I see I went to the good I went to a good place. You can take them to the dark space about about twos. That's your biz. So Yeah, they Tell us about that. Well, they're very generous, but sometimes they give in order to get something in return. Right. Generally though, what they want in return is affection and love and appreciation and friendship. Mm. They um need to learn what's theirs to do and what's not theirs to do. Being a helper sounds so lovely, doesn't it? Yeah. Except when people don't want your help. and <laughs> When you get up in their business, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we don't ask, we just help. And um, I think we are unaware sometimes of other people's boundaries. Mm-hmm. We don't have any. So we cross boundary lines, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for us, that happens working together. Because right. we, as a two and a four, we probably tell too much. Yeah. Yeah. As a as a lawyer, does that help you, Hunter? Yeah, it does. I mean, as a lawyer, it really the thing about practicing law is you're always looking for the one thing in the room that the person hasn't told you. Whenever a client comes into your office as a lawyer, there's a big missing fact that they will not put on the table. And so you are as a two trying to intuit it. And I think twos are uniquely gifted to sort of do that and to kind of see where the missing link is to see what's not being said in the room to see where the uncomfortable places are. So that's kind of a fun, sort of like being a detective in a way. And twos are good, intuitive, social detectives. That's fascinating. Yeah. Talk about that as a pastor. 
that same gift. As a pastor, it comes in, it comes in handy as well as a pastor, but as a, as a pastor being a two is complicated. I think twos are uniquely gifted in some ways to be pastors because we're wired to help, we're wired to talk to people, we're wired to listen to people, but also because we're not wired to keep good boundaries, we often find ourselves entangled in people's lives in ways that are not helpful to them or to us. That's something that I have to watch continuously. I mean, I find there's people that it's like, why did I give that person my cell phone number? <laughs> you know, was that really to help them or was that kind of to either just get them off my back at that moment or, or was that just to sort of fulfill some kind of need within myself? Mm. And so I think I think boundary setting is really what gets pastors into, tr- into trouble. And, and twos. And twos, yeah. And as, as, a, as a pastor, the other thing I would say that is is hard for twos being pastors is pastoring is a lonely job. You you both know that. And you get isolated very quickly because when you pastor at a church, in a sense, you lose having a church. You, you don't have a church in right. a way. And um, so it becomes very isolating and you end up sort of, if you become isolated, you get into unhealthy places, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and if you don't kind of find good outlets and good relationships outside of your church to sort of get unisolated, you just get lost in the web of helping and not telling the truth about yourself. And It's a slippery slope. It's a slippery yeah. slope. You know, so, my husband's a pastor, so... Um, one of the best pastors. Yeah, he is. Maybe the best. But one of the things that's really interesting for me as a two is I don't ever, I don't belong any place. Like, I'm not the pastor, and I'm not, because I'm a pastor's wife, I'm not just a church member, whatever that means. I don't mean that in a a negating way at all. So I don't ever know where to stand, and that's very hard for a two. Yeah, trying to discern where everybody expects you to stand. Yeah. And there's a lot of agendas. Yes. Especially in a big church. Yeah. Yeah. Hunter, we, um, in in, uh, the world of the Enneagram, we talk a lot about every number having a deadly sin, mm-hmm. or uh, yes. if, if people are uncomfortable with that language, we talk. We might use the word passion. Now, can you talk to us about the deadly sin that, that tends to be the temptation that all twos face and how that plays out in your life? Yes, yeah. The deadly sin of pride for twos is when I first learned about the deadly sins of the Enneagram, pride felt like, ah, oh, that doesn't quite connect. Um, and then I had to understand really what what does pride mean in an Enneagram context? And for me, and for I think a lot of twos, pride means needing everyone to see me as a person of supreme balance, helpfulness, love, affirmation. And I mean, I can remember as a child having the thought of being absolutely devastated if there was someone who didn't like me. Mm. And that sort of pride of kind of being the person in the room who's the best, the most helpful, the most loved, that's that's the pride that I think in unhealthy two space I can be the most tempted by. Um, and for me too, you know, pride really resonates because I, I have a three wing, a pretty big three wing, I think. And so even though pride is not the core sin of a three, a three kind of has to deal with a lot of pride narrative and a lot of pride um, issues as well. Right. The teacher in me wants to just add to that, that that 
Rizzo and Hudson definition mm. of the inability or unwillingness to acknowledge one's own needs and suffering mm. yes. while tending yes. to the needs of other people. Yes. And it's interesting to me how we are able to displace our own needs while tending to other people. Is right. that a big problem for oh, you? Oh, yeah, because it's other people feel so much more interesting and it feels so much safer to sort of stay externalized and others referenced than to sort of look inward and see what kind of soup is boiling in here. Right. I'm, I'm fascinated by my focus. Mm. So when you're not at work, what's your focus? When I'm not at work, I think for me, this, the four sort of security center comes up. And I think when I'm not at work, for me, um, a lot of creativity becomes my focus and sort of the, the melancholy, romantic, creative, I'm supposed to write poetry today. And it's kind of like, where in the world did this come from? And so I think for me, I see that outside in, in a home context, outside of a work context, particularly on vacation or traveling, that um, that's where I, I'm able to sort of tap into that creative space. Mm-hmm. And so, it, so the, the inward journey does become more of a focus and, and becomes a little bit more accessible outside of work. Right. Twos, threes, and fours, um, you know, are the most image conscious numbers on the on Uh-oh. the enneagram yeah here it comes and uh you know um each of them present with with different kinds of projected images because right. they don't really believe a that they have an identity of of their own so they got to kind of put one out there right mm. um and, and also to win over other people they they in their either their appreciation their admiration or or, or you know so can you talk to me about what it's like for, how does a two inhabit being image conscious in that triad? Well, first, just kind of getting there, maybe just kind of a humorous story is where I really discovered some of the image consciousness in myself and, and really was able to name sort of this three wing space that I live in is recently at a boot camp that Suzanne led here in Nashville. We, we made this wonderful friend who was an eight and this guy who was big in the room. He was, he was just really delightful. We had a lot of eights in that boot camp. And I found that over the course of the three or four days that every day I wore a different pair of glasses. And that's just kind of part of my, part of my shtick. And he comes up to me and he says, man, there's a lot of three going on around here. And, and it just kind of, it, it was a good sort of moment of awareness to see man, I I am sort of doing a lot of just externalization to sort of present kind of an image of of whatever it is that I want to portray about myself. But I I think image image consciousness is a really um, important thing for a two. And the interesting thing is in being image conscious, we also, though, are not particularly connected to sort of body consciousness. So there is this kind of um, need, which, which in some ways that lack of body awareness probably is what causes some of us to sort of mask that lack of body awareness with sort of a lot of image management and a lot of sort of image control. I, I want to ask you about this, but I have to confess in order to kind of invite you into the conversation. Oh, good. But, oh, oh yeah, you're to, all excited. Uh, I'll give you absolution. Okay. Sounds good to me. I can get it from both of you. Part of the image that I've had to really work on as a two mm. is the image I put out that I love everybody because mm. I don't. Mm. 
Right. No, me neither. But we act like we do. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think that's um, I think we cover that mm-hmm. with externals. So yes. uh, anybody who knows or has ever been around Ian knows that he has several pairs of glasses and that they're uniquely different. And it was fascinating to me you. to hear you talk about glasses because we have to have some photos taken for stuff while we're here. And I have been wringing my hands because I only brought one pair of glasses. <laughs> and I, I wonder if it's glasses for other people. Be yeah. nice for our listeners to, that are twos to let us know if glasses are a thing for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. I bet it's always external stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet so. Yeah. I have a question that I've, I've been asking people, myself. If um, if you didn't have to inhabit this number, mm. if you didn't have to meet other people's needs, you know, to need to be needed, and you just were able to let that go as a strategy for winning appreciation and love, mm. what would you have to feel? What would what would emerge for you? Well, I mean, I think first I would have to do a lot of self-work to sort of get out of the others referenced place that mm, I so right. so quickly go to. So I think for me what would emerge, hopefully what would emerge is some of the high side of the four space of being confident in sort of my own uniqueness and my in my sense of worth not based on sort of being one of kind of the great helpers and givers of the world, but but my sense of worth through being one of kind of the unique people that has a strong sense of calling and giftedness and is going to give it away to the world. Um, so I, it's a, I think it's, I think that's part of the work for a two and every number is to find ways to get out of that space of, um, of just kind of basing self-worth around being needed. Okay. So, I, and that's a great answer. And can I just press you a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, Because um, it would help me. Go what? deeper because, you know, I want to give you the answer that you want. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I'm going to work good, it like a pony at good. a birthday party. Um, like, uh, for me, yeah. I'm realizing that if I stopped playing my four game, mm. what would have to come up is grief. Mm. And I would have to walk through that valley. Mm in order to get to health, mm. right? Yeah. So you just described, I think, the positive journey, and right. I think that's true. What difficult feelings does your two-ness help you avoid having to deal with that you would have to deal with if it mm. fell away? An innate sense of loneliness. Mm. Can you unpack it a little bit? Yeah, I think that, I think that as a two, I'm kind of keeping at bay all the time a sense of who do I belong to? Am I worth belonging to anyone? Mm. Is anybody going to be there for me when I really need them? And so I think there's kind of a sense of covering loneliness that is involved in a lot of twos helpful giving activity. And so I think the first thing that would really emerge for me is, is that sense of Am I alone in the universe? Am wow. I alone in in my community? Wow, that's a that's an amazing 
you know, confession. And I, I appreciate it. And because, I, because it is a question that I'm really mm -hmm. wrestling with right now, Suzanne, can I just go off a of hunter just for a second and ask you what you would have to feel? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I've been, so I'm 65, um, almost 66. And it's changed for me. I am not so committed to the fact that happiness comes from outside of me. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of leaning into that happiness could be an inside job. But I'm really struggling with what's available to me that I'm not withdrawing from the bank. Mm. You know, I bank relationships and I bank favors and I, I do all that unconsciously, mostly. And I'm, I wonder what's available to me that's going to surprise me. That's a better way of saying it. And then I get afraid of the lack of surprise. And at the same time, and I wonder if this is true for you, I don't trust accolades and people saying I'm going to be there and people saying, you can count on me and I'm here and I'm not going away. I, I think, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you're going to do that. So what I think I'm grieving, which is how I would answer that, is that it's very difficult for me to know who I am when I'm alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing thing, yes. right? Because yeah. there's no one, you don't have the mirroring that's coming right. from someone else who's responding to your image at work as the helper, right? right? So it's like, well, who am I if no one's mirroring back that appreciation that is filling in the self-esteem bucket that tends to have a big hole in it? You know, that's that's true for everyone in two, three, four in that mm -hmm. triad, you know, it's a, the same thing. Do you introduce yourself by by association? Like when you introduce yourself to somebody, do you add a title or who's your friend or? Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's something that I, I try to watch because I find myself doing that. Um, and, and one thing that if I can just go back to something you just said to hook onto is talking about the accolades and the, the compliments. One thing that I find as a two is the, the 20 minutes after you preached a sermon is one of the most complicated times mm -hmm. of the week. Yes, it is. Two. And it's, it's because I desperately want a line to form and, and to hear something along the lines of, you know, this is the best thing we've ever heard. But also at the same time, I can't receive it and I don't know what to do with it. And I, and I don't actually enjoy it. It's like something that I need that I'm not able to savor. I, I need people to give that sort of affirmation, but it's so uncomfortable to sort of turn inward and really savor it that I feel like I need to deflect it. So it's just this complicated sort of tug of war when it comes to accolades and affirmations. For me as a two, in, in needing them, but not being able to savor them. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, Suzanne and I, and I think this is good, we, we try to hesitate from, you know, getting too specific about, you know, what's the genesis of all these numbers mm -hmm. and, you know, this childhood thing happened. I, I just think that's kind of a risky enterprise. But, you know, I think people can speak for themselves. As you look back at your life, what's the what's the genesis of your tunis? Like, as you look back and think, gosh, how did this start beyond temperament and genes and all that yes. stuff? Can you think of a moment in your life where it was like, 
here's ground zero. Yes, I think some of the the moments of Genesis for my sort of full fledged tunis. One comes in being I'm a I'm a first child that in some way is significantly older than my siblings, so I kind of had some only child experience and. Having that kind of first child, only child experience, I grew up in a world of adults. And my parents were social people and were, were wonderful in the sense of they entertained, they had friends. We were, we were always kind of living in the context of other people. And so I was growing up in a world of adults needing to be sort of the child who was... Um, well-spoken in a world of adults or the child who was well-behaved, the child who had something to say at the family table. And I think it was a gift that my parents included me in that world of adults. I wasn't, I wasn't um, kind of just tossed away as, you know, the kind of the child go to the other room sort of, sort of dynamic, but also it kind of made me grow up quickly, I think. And Mm -hmm. so even in therapy, I've had to do, I have, I have trouble in sort of the inner child work. It's Mm kind of like, man, the sort of do something fun for yourself today is, is kind of feels like work for me. Yeah. So I think growing up in a world of adults is, is part of it. Also, um, one wonderfully important and significant part, I think, of my kind of two genesis was um, growing up in a, in a home with a one parent, which is a, is a tremendous gift and also um, just a place where, I think I found a need to perform and to behave in, in certain ways. Um, and so I think some of those were kind of Genesis moments for me in fully inhabiting a two space. Do you feel like uh, relationships are fleeting? Like, do, do you tend to think, you know, I, if that happens, then these people are going to leave? Oh, Is that- yes, yes. I, I feel, I'm, I think that, mostly subconsciously, but I am sort of consistently evaluating the sort of deposits and withdrawal system of relationships and thinking about, have I made a deposit this week? Um, Have I made too many withdrawals? Yeah. Is there going to be anything left over? That's really good. Kind Mm -hmm. of that that banking. It's very sad (laughs) because I do it too as a two, but it's good. So... um, for twos, there is this presentation, this image uh, presentation, usually of affable, cheerful, um, sometimes a little over um, the top emotionally. You know, it can feel a little engulfing, right? The love, just, right. the, uh, you know, I, in, in our new book, I, I talk about that when the love train leaves the station for a two, it's pretty hard to stop. Um, I know. How does it feel that Suzanne and I, we just, we would kind of rather just be holding hands and all like touching during this interview. Yeah. Well, that would be awkward. I mean, just for me. <laughs> would you be okay with that, Ian? Well, I mean, I, um, yeah, I'm a four, so I can endure a lot of strangeness <laughs> before it really kind of goes over the top. But so um, uh, the dark side again mm. of twos, because mm. it, they, they, they are wonderful people, but the dark side in the two, I think, is difficult to pick up as much as it is in some other numbers, right? right? Um, the manipulation piece, mm-hmm. which is trying to get people to, um, you know, how do we get people to right. admire and uh, appreciate us? Can you, are you willing to be a little confessional around the manipulation piece? Yeah, that's, well, I, we'll see if I am or not. <laughs> um, help me. It, 
I think that's very much something that resonates with me in two space. And, and I think a question that I am beginning through more self-awareness sort of work and, and through the Enneagram that's given me kind of a different tool to think about this is asking myself, what is it that I really am wanting or expecting or needing from this person that I am pursuing relationship with? Is this a is is kind of my stated motive really my true heart motive in this relationship and and i think that the manipulation piece is is very hard for me many times as a two because i i'm i'm desiring affirmation in some way and so being helpful is so tied to hopefully the the carrot at the end of the stick that is that person sort of turning back and offering some kind of validation or accolade or affirmation. And um, I think for, for a pastor, I've had to really grow in that space of it's, it's spiritually disastrous to need affirmation and need affection in, in all those sort of emotional ways from congregants that you're either providing spiritual direction to or helping do conflict resolution with in different ways. And so I think that's something that I, I have to really watch that manipulative. Why am I being helpful? Why am I interested in this relationship? Why am I pursuing this person? Do you think it's affirmation or belonging? Mm. Well, I think going back to Ian's question earlier, if sort of a lot of it is kind of dealing with some innate sense of of loneliness that, that it's belonging. I think it's belonging yeah. too. You know, we don't, it's interesting because we have probably more and a little bit deeper connections mm. with people than right. other numbers tend to have. And yet it leaves us still needing more. Right. Richard Rohr says, if you have to have more and more of the same thing, it isn't working. Right. And so I'm learning from that, that, Affirmation isn't working mm -hmm. because it's not really affirmation I'm looking for. It's belonging. Right. And then the next step is it's belonging that I can trust. Yes. And then it's belonging that I can trust isn't ever going to change. And right. then it's, and it all seems to come from a place of not having right relationship with myself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I think that's true of everybody in that, in that feeling heart triad. Too. You know, it, it, um, and I really appreciate that, that you said that, Suze, because I think that whole idea of belonging. So for a two, right, that, that sense of belonging for the reasons you said, I think, um, it's, and I think it's belonging as I am. Yes. To, to belong, to, to, to really feel that by being the person I am, I can belong. So, you know, the twos be like, no, I really can't. So I got to go meet everybody's needs. And the threes are like, well, no, people won't accept me as I am. So I got to you know, be successful and never be a failure. And the four is no one's going to accept me as I am because there's a missing piece in me. So I got to compensate by doing all this kooky stuff. And, and I just think that isn't it, you know, such a gift to be able to offer belonging to the world. Once you know that so many people are really deeply longing to know as you are, you, you belong. And I think the interesting thing about that, Ian, is twos are, uniquely gifted at offering belonging to other people. You're darn right. But not to ourselves. Right. I, and I I think that twos, Suzanne, you said one time something that has really resonated with me, this idea of 
it's really important for twos that everyone has a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. I, it's, it's very difficult for me to have to work or live or operate in a context where everyone doesn't get a seat at the table for some reason. But the difficulty, I think, of the inward journey is finding my own seat at the table and offering myself a seat at the table. Exactly. And isn't it fascinating that we so want everybody to have a seat Mm. at the table and we're the first one to say, oh, here, take my place. Right. Take my chair. Take my seat. Take my... Right. So this is a this is a struggle for me because um, I love both of you. Um, you're you're both twos, and Susan, I'm thinking about my our friend Michael Cusick, who's also a two. And like for me, I would love to be able to communicate to the two of you, like I don't need you, I want you, mm-hmm. and I want you to know that you belong. Uh, to my circle of concern anyway. And I know that you belo- that there are so many people out there that, who, who just assume you know that you belong because you're such great people. How could I or anyone else who's married to a two, is a friend to a two, a sibling to a two, communicate to that truth to a two that they belong and that they are not, that they would be loved even, uh, not because they're needed, but because of who they are. Like, how would we get that across to you? Mm. You want to go first? That's a good one. You go first. You start us off. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's I don't think the problem is in the inability of other people to communicate it. It's the the work is on our side mm-hmm. of the fence. Right. Because it's not primarily needing a set of words. Uh, there's not a set of affirming words. No magic I, code. No, huh? there's no magic code. But you know why? Because we're schmoozers. Ooh, right. The flattering so, side. Yeah. Of the and two. so we it's very difficult then to trust accolades from somebody else when twos intuitively use accolades right. for relationship building. Right. We we know that the words don't always mean what the words mean. That's right. That it, they're manipulative at times. Right. right? That flattery right. piece that's yes. so the Pull charm. You in. Yes. The charm. Pull you, in. you know, Richard Rohr has a great line about that. He says, you know, twos are always on the make. Right. Always on the and, make. And I know always that sounds seducing. so hard, but you know, I don't know. I I I see the blessing side of twos so clearly that, you know, the curse side, of course, is there. But, but man, it's, um, there's so much blessing mm. that, that just emanates from twos and uh, uh, have so much regard for there them. There are numbers, though, you know, that don't get along with us, that, that don't see us as quite the blessing. Well, particularly sixes and eights. Mm. It's like sixes don't trust us and eights don't have time for us. Right. And I think fives are a little put off by what they might experience as the intrusing, the intruding, yeah. mm-hmm. and the right. over kind of the engulfing of love. And yes. and sometimes you're you guys are very tactile. You touch a lot, right. which I personally love. But you know, fives and and other people in general, you know, sometimes I've you know I've actually had some people in my life. I said, would it be okay if I if I hug you? Because right. I just know that they're you know a little less. Tactile and comfortable in that language. I'll never forget the the day that my husband Joe sat me down and said, "Suzanne, not everybody wants to be touched." Yes. And my response was, "You're kidding." Yeah. It's like I couldn't imagine yeah. that. 
to be true. I actually had um, a significant experience in my life in college was I had a five roommate who is still a great friend today, and he helped me a lot with becoming a healthier version of a two by one day sitting me down and saying, you're sort of touch dominance and always needing to be kind of the man and in control is actually emasculating to me. It wow. feels like there's no more room for me to occupy. Wow. And and it, it just realized, I realized in that moment how smothering to space can be mm. if it's not in check. And particularly, I think it, I think it was good for me to see that. And I think I probably only a five maybe was going to own that in that way where I could see that because it was so difficult for that five to, to have, to, to provide the space that I was trying to suck up. God bless fives, right? God for bless the objective, fives. That willingness to just, you know, mm-hmm. give it out there. But I, twos are the most sensitive number on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what you felt like when he said that to you. Oh, for 12 hours, I felt devastated like the relationship would be over. Our friendship was through. How would we ever get to the other side of this? And I felt shame. Mm-hmm. I think, too, you know, you, you scratch the surface with twos. I think this is probably true of threes and fours as well, and you find shame. And and so it's so easy to, to go into the place of shouldn'ts and couldn'ts and whys and ought not tos and those sorts of things. And so I, I think... Uh, as a two, you have to kind of first deal with the first layer of shame that comes up and then hopefully go to a higher and a better, more productive place. Right, instead of a more shaming place. Right. So I have a question for you. What is the one thing that you wish other people knew about your number? The one thing that I wish other people knew about twos I would, you know, there's 70 things, but but right. one thing that one, one thing that comes comes up in this moment is to not trust the "I'm fine, I'm good" line from mm-hmm. a two. I wish I wish people would allow the space for to press in a little deeper and to not trust that kind of the happy, optimistic vision and view of a two that a two presents so well is really authentic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's actually good advice. So in by way of giving an example of that, you if I saw you and I said, Hunter, how are you doing? And you went, oh man, I'm doing great. And I go, okay, but I just really want to know how how you're doing. Is that is that it? You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, I mean... No, I know. I think, I mean, it kind of connects back to your question, Ian, about how can people live well in relationships with twos and love them well. It's In some ways, it's kind of a quiet gift of presence, mm-hmm. I think, is in, in some ways the best thing that you can give to a two is just sort of the gift of presence that communicates beyond words, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, there's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that you need to be. There's nothing that you need to help me with or say to earn my love for you. And so that's a difficult, you know, it's got to operationalize differently in every context, but I think somehow sort of the quiet, steady, consistent gift of presence is is one of the greatest things that can be given to a two. That's interesting. Ian, as a four, I want to ask you a question. Okay. So we... All three 
uh, have concern about abandonment. Mm. What do you think the difference is in for concern about abandonment and our fear that we're going to be abandoned? Oh, I wish I hadn't asked me that because that's going to really require a lot of thought on my part, actually. Um, the abandonment issue for a four, at, at, at least in my experience, is I'm afraid you're going to find out that I'm, I'm really fundamentally flawed, irredeemably deficient, that there's something broken and missing in me, and that if you saw that, if I were to take away all the specialness and uniqueness that I use as, you know, as, as camouflage and also as a way of, of uh, making up for that perceived flaw, that um, you would see something or someone utterly unworthy of relationship. Wow. So what, I know that sounds pretty intense, <laughs> but what, that is how force feel intensely, and that's exactly. kind of how they get it. Yeah. So how would you say that what Ian just shared is different than what you feel, Hunter? I would say the sort of fundamental flaw piece is not as present for a two, that the abandonment would, the abandonment feeling emerges for a two from a sense of, if I am not useful in the world, oh. then, then I've, I've got no place or standing or belonging. That's really good because it has a, it, it's interesting though, because it kind of leans into who I am as opposed to what I do. Mm. It's almost like Ian is saying, who I am is not enough. Right. And you're saying what I do or what I have to give is not enough. Right. And yet we're, everybody in this triad struggling with shame. Right. Uh, so we've got to probably move toward, toward, toward wrapping up. And you've been, as, as I anticipated and Suze did too, are just an amazing uh, presence. There's something about twos that I can actually now pick up in the voice mm. that someone is a two. Honestly, I, I, I pick up that, uh, that love, that there's a tenderness and a gentleness, and um, you, you radiate safety, that, that I can be like a four, like I could tell you what I just said to you, even in more detail than I'm willing to do on a podcast, and you would just say, well, you just sit down and I'm going to light this scented candle and give you some Godiva chocolates and you're just going to just keep going. You just keep telling me whatever you need to right. tell me and I'll love you through yes. it. You know, and that's a, that's an amazing, amazing gift. Um, One thing we haven't talked about. Can I tag it on to please, that? Yeah. One of the things we haven't talked about is that twos feel other people's feelings mm -hmm. and not their own very right. often. And so one of the reasons that you get chocolates from us is we get them out for you when we need them. <laughs> from feeling your feelings. Yes. And we get you a cup of tea and we we care for ourselves by caring for you because we're feeling your feelings and we don't know what to do with them. Right. And I don't want that to be overly simplistic, but that's exactly what's going on. I love that you you mentioned that 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 twos really uh don't feel their own feelings. They 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 actually I don't want to say merge, but they they actually take on the feeling of others and and uh, and have it with them, which there there is a beauty to side that to to that too. Though, can I just say one thing? Like I, I had a two friend, and I can see both of you doing this. When I was early on in sobriety, I had a, a a counselor who was a two, and I told him a story about my life, 
that I, for whatever reason, I was sort of dissociated from. Like I, I actually it was sort of frozen in me. I couldn't feel it. And, and, and uh, I actually get a little choked up telling this story, but he cried for me. Yeah. Mm. And I've never forgotten that, that feeling of, oh my gosh, this, this guy is, is doing for me what I can't do for myself mm. right now. He's feeling my feelings for me. And I think that was an example of where that can be, be a right. gift. Can, can I just close with a, a, a question? And I'd love to keep going, but it's a big one for twos. All right. Self-care. And I want you to just tell people as we go out of here who are twos or, you know, or who love twos and need mm -hmm. to remind them they got to take care of themselves because they're always taking care of other people. Hunter, tell us, how do you take care of yourself? I have to get out of town. Mm -hmm. And I know this is a thing that we talk about for ones in self-care, but I believe it is just as important for twos. I actually have to, I, I take days all by myself where I go drive the Natchez Trace Parkway and go stop and have lunch and come back after dinner time. And I just take, a, I have to take a quiet day for myself where I'm out of my space. I'm out of myself as person who embodies a role or a set of responsibilities. And I'm just able to feel something and experience something unexpected, but on my own. That's actually very mature two space because you gotta you gotta live half a life as a two to really want to be alone, mm. to find that gratifying or or uh, rejuvenating in some way. Hunter, I you know that you're one of my favorite people. Oh, you're I, it's one been of my so favorites. great. So this has great been a to gift have to you. me to be with both of you. I love both of you all so much and have been ministered to by by your books, your friendship, your talks. And so I've just been excited to be here. Mm. Well, till next time. Till next, yeah, til til next, next time. Till next time. Suzanne. Yes, sir. And Hunter, uh, I've said this both to you, but you know, I don't, I don't need you, but I want you and love you. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, in my circle of concern, you, you'll always belong. And to all of you out there, we hope that you've enjoyed our podcast today. Hunter, peace and grace. And we'll talk to you all next time. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Road Back to You, looking at life through the lens of the Enneagram, produced by Jim Chafee, and our engineer is Brad Bass. Our theme music is provided by the band Waterdeep from their album Moment, written by Lori Chaffer. Please visit our website, www.theroadbacktoyou.com, for news, more podcasts, and our public appearances around the country. And you can pre-order our book, The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. You don't want to miss next week. We're going to take a break from doing Enneagram numbers to talk about politics and personality, a germane topic right now with Michael Ware. It's going to be an amazing, amazing time. If you want to feel better about the next 70 days and recognize how challenged we are to be our best, don't forget to join us.